Hey Blenders, on this week's show, the Morbius trailer drops, Marvel's Eternals hits theaters, and we have director Scott Cooper as our guest on the show. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, Blenders, and welcome. Welcome to episode number 189 of Real Blend, a podcast that's soon to be voiced by Chris Pratt, Chris Pratt, and Chris Pratt. My name oh. is Sean O'Connell. <laughs> I'm the managing editor here at Cinema Blend. Uh, and on this week's show, Morbius has a new trailer. Marvel's Eternals is hitting theaters. And boy, is the show divided on that one. Uh, and director Scott Cooper is going to be joining the show to talk about his horror film. Ooh, we like talking about horror films post-Halloween, don't we, folks? Uh, but we'll start with what's the matter. Jake, you look very confused. I'll start with Jake Hamilton of Fox 32 in Chicago. You all right? There's a movie with Tom Hanks and a dog coming out. <sighs> yeah. Finch, part of the Larry Crown Cinematic Universe. I uh, wish. It's, it's all based I on the, uh, the pop punk band from a decade ago. Yeah. Let me let you in on a little secret as to why we're not talking about Finch too much on the show. Uh, Jake, Tom Hanks didn't do our show. And uh, the director didn't do our show. So we're not, so, uh, so not going to talk about Scorsese movies? Um, well, no. If, if, if we don't get Spielberg, we're not going to talk about Spielberg movies for the rest of the... Well, that's, it's debatable. That's, that's the bar? Have we become that show? We're better than that show. <laughs> Are we, though? I mean, <laughs> let's be honest. Are we? Uh, the other person in the chair, as always, Kevin McCarthy of Fox 5 in Washington, D.C. Hello, Kevin. How are you? Sean, uh, the the, uh, the jokes are just getting better every week. We had Doonies. Uh, yeah. What was last week? What was the Doonies Two solid. one? Uh, was... Tune, 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 <laughs> and then and then the the Pratt. That, yeah. the, you're on a, a roll, Pratt. man. I, well, good... that, to to be fair, that was Gabe's uh, because I was uh, coming up short today. But you know, Chris Pratt is he's voicing everything. He's Garfield. He's he's Mario. Is I also heard though the reason why he got the Garfield role though is because he's legally changing his name to Chris Cat. <laughs> <laughs> and then and his twitter name is gonna be cat 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 exactly. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> all right if you're watching us on youtube thank you very much That's for joining good. us please head down and give us a like and a subscribe uh join us here each week to see a visual element of the show for our audio listeners uh if you'd like to join us in video form head to youtube.com backslash 
Roblin podcast. Uh, have you signed up for the Roblin premium episode? If you want more of this, uh, but without ads during your normal show, as well as an, an extra segment on Wednesday, uh, Mondays, sorry, and a newsletter written by me, go to cinemablend.com backslash Blend premium. Jake, you look like you have a joke. What's going on? No, I'm just, I'm just amused by life. Just enjoying the show, are you? He huh? was sitting here thinking about Finch. He was just replaying it in his head. <laughs> are we actually reviewing Finch later in the show? We are. Why? We are? I'm, so, I'm sorry. Explain to me why we wouldn't review Finch. I liked Finch. Just I'll a tease. We're, we're just, okay, I need now. Now it's gone too far. We're teasing Jake here, not Tom. Finch Hawks. is fine. We're teasing Jake. <laughs> Finch is better than Eternals. No, that's that is. Kevin, I actually so agree with that. Hot right. damn! <laughs> I actually agree with that. Absolutely yeah. ridiculous. Uh, oh, speaking of Eternals. All right, so our weekly poll this week is. Uh, Will the Eternals Rotten Tomatoes? And Gabe, while I'm reading this, can you please look up the Rotten Tomato current Rotten Tomato score? Sure. Uh, of Eternals, and I said, uh, will Eternals Rotten Tomato score keep you from seeing it in theaters? Because uh, this film, new film by Chloe Zhao, was teetering very close to rotten for a long period of time, and then it would dip rotten, and then it would come back to fresh. But I think it's I think it's currently the lowest rated on Rotten Tom- for such as that that is. The lowest rated film on Rotten Tomatoes in the MCU. So, Jake, we asked the people uh, if the low Rotten Tomato score will keep you from seeing it in theaters. We simply gave them yes or no. Do you think the people think that the Rotten Tomato score is going to scare them away? I, I would hope the people that listen to this show and follow the account would never let Rotten Tomatoes or anyone's review steer them away from seeing a film. I think if you want to see a film, you should see it, no matter what anyone tells you about it. So mm-hmm. I would hope, 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 that a majority of people would say no. 79% of the people. Hot damn. No. Yeah. So that's They're my people. That's good to hear uh, because you're right. We fully encourage everybody, even if we pan a movie on the show, to, if you're curious about it, go out and check it out for yourselves um, and come back and, you know, sooner or later, someday we're going to have to do a MCU ranking. No, there's no way that you guys, I know you guys don't like Eternals as much as I do, but you wouldn't say it's the worst MCU movie. Good God, no. Okay. No, no way. Absolutely not. To, to, no. to further your point, Sean, about if we disagree, between the four of us, it would run the gambit of someone likes a movie, someone else doesn't like a movie. It's never, we never like perfectly paired where Sean and I always like the same movies. Yeah. And Jake and K, like it's never, it's always shuffling yeah. of, so you never know. Yeah, you never true. Oh, it's, it's, which I think is good. There's no way to be like, well, this person and this person liked it, therefore I wouldn't, because the four of us are always kind of interchangeable, and in that some of you guys, sometimes you guys are wrong, and I'm always right. I will say, exactly. <laughs> uh, I will say that there were a number of people, Kevin, who said uh, that they endured Hubie Halloween because they said that if we liked it, they must have thought it was good. And I have to let you guys know that I'm kind of like, I'm a little bit ironically loving Hubie Halloween. <laughs> it's funny. I think it's funny. But like, I'm not going to recommend Hubie Halloween to anybody. You but, tweeted uh, about it. Well, Brendan and I watched it. We actually got through half. <laughs> we got through an hour of it. But we started it at like 11 o'clock on Halloween night. And then at 12, I was like, why am I still watching Hubie Halloween? You're like, it's November 1st. We can't watch it. It's not, it's not Hubie Hall- November 1st. 
Brendan was all, dying, by the way, dying. Yeah, because it's funny and it's I, and, ridiculous. And, yeah, and no one, no one here has ever said Hubie Halloween is a great film. We right. all, we we, uh, we I enjoyed Hubie Halloween for what it was. I yeah. like this the the Adam Sandler universe. I like the characters. I thought Ray Liotta. I, I thought everyone had fun in that movie. I'm not saying it's a masterpiece. I'm not even saying it's close to that at all. Um, I we, we ironically, as you say, we joke about that film on the show but i like yes. it more than than like jake or gabe does For uh, sure. and i think sean i think you do like it more than they do as well i do too I, yeah th- I, listen I, even re-watching it on halloween with brent like there were moments where i was like yeah. legitimately laughing there's some June really Squibb funny stuff in it yes. it's incredible in that movie when she shows up in the boner donor shirt <laughs> i was gonna say the costume designer deserves Brendan an oscar doubled over <laughs> <laughs> doubled over because it just caught him off guard and there's one point too where uh the the lady from modern family whose name i'm not gonna remember uh she is like kind of flirting with hubie and she pulls away in her car and then that old woman who's from uh uh billy madison the one who says if peeing your pants is cool then i'm miles davis (laughs) she comes up and she walks into the scene and she says I'm asexual, but that lady's got me horned. <laughs> I've never seen Brendan laugh so hard. I he almost fell off the couch. It's, it's perfect for a 13 year old. Perfect. It's it's. I mean, if I saw that when I was 12 or 13 with my yeah, friends, I, yeah. I like how you say it's perfect for a 13 year old. While Kevin is doubled over laughing <laughs> yeah, at the mere yes. reference. So of. is Sean yes, though. Yes, and yeah, that's yeah. the thing though. But like, but but uh, I also love immature humor. So yes, it's all well, good. Of course. Yeah. Yeah, this yeah. next movie is not necessarily for 13 year olds. Uh, it is I would have loved this movie when I was 13. Well, you're a little weird. <laughs> no, it's a great, it's a great little you're creature little feature. Jake and I are on the same page. I'm with you, buddy. Very true. All right. This is Antlers, uh, directed by Scott Cooper. And Scott Cooper was nice enough to join us on the show. So let's throw it right to our interview with the director of Antlers. And he talks about his filmography in general and working with... Uh, uh, Guillermo del Toro and his creature design and the fact that he almost got to see Nightmare Alley. So we'll get into that story and more as part of our official Real Blood interview with Scott Cooper. Um, I want to start here because you have one of the most effective jump scares that I've seen in years. Um, and I'm normally pretty immune to those. I can see them coming. Oh, good. Yeah. And I want to ask, um, when are they OK to use and what's the secret to an effective one? Well, it's interesting because this is my first immersion into the supernatural and the horror genre uh, in general. So I'm not as familiar with the rules, the conventions, the tropes. And when you make movies like I do in, in, in numerous genre, Western, gangster film, and now horror film, you generally take those rules and conventions, or at least I do, uh, which may not work for some folks, and you toss them out and you say there are no rules. But I do know that folks like to be scared, and I do know that people do like jump scares. And I know that if you can set up a character in, in, in a situation in which it might be tense or it might be portentous with some dread, but if you can, if you can then surprise the audience in ways that they will then jump, which is precisely what you did. And in that particular scene, we have this sheriff's deputy who is investigating a sound that emanates from, from a shed. And as he approaches, he sees a young boy who's hiding. That, of course, the audience will largely think 
well, what can happen that's that's so terrifying or horrifying in front of a young kid? You know, right, what f- right. filmmaker will go to those places? <laughs> <laughs> in front of a child. Yeah, Scott Cooper. So you aren't quite conditioned for that. <laughs> well, and then it, it happens. Worked. It really works. Great. It really worked. Thank you. <laughs> you know, Scott, correct me if I'm wrong, but I was looking through your filmography. I, bl- I believe this is the first feature you've shot digitally. I think Crazy Heart, Out of the Furnace, uh, Black Mass, and Hostiles were all 35 mil. And, you know, one of the correct. things I find interesting about that is that's, that's an interesting transition to make as a, as a filmmaker. And I wanted to ask you what you loved about working on film, uh, what you found in digital that kind of like affected your storytelling. Uh, and in terms of was it, was it a strange transition for you as, an, as a director? Well, look... I shot on uh, my first four films on film for a reason because I love uh, the quality, the warmth, uh, a sense of uh, authenticity. Certainly, with the stories that I that I've told, which are either period pieces in Hostiles or, or Black Mass, hmm. or trying to to uh, emulate a certain a very lived-in quality that film best captures. And certainly the films that most inspired me, the dramas from the 70s, which of course were all shot on film. But my last film that was shot on film, Hostiles, was a very, very difficult film to make. It was essentially a road trip movie that starts in New Mexico, makes its way all the way up to Montana. And we never shot in the same location twice. And we're shooting amidst uh, monsoonal rains, Uh, constant lightning storms, rattlesnakes, very, very high elevation, very difficult terrain to get to. And when you then shoot a day's work and you send it off to the lab, and the lab then, because they're so uh, unaccustomed to working with film because most films now are shot digitally, and they defect that film, and you have to reshoot that at great expense and great effort. It's very frustrating. I'm also shooting a film in, in Antlers with uh, two young protagonists, and I've worked with kids before, but they were going to be in this much more frequently than, than other films. And they can only work a certain amount of time. So when you have a less shooting time and you have young children, you have to make the most of that time. And therefore, if it's a digital camera, you can continue running uh, take after take after take. But I also shot digitally because... This is a story about a young boy with, with big problems, and I wanted him to be, feel small and overwhelmed in the frame. So I shot this at the time on a newer camera called the Sony Venice, which is a, almost, it's a large format, almost akin to like a 65 millimeter. And therefore, it, yeah. it could keep both a young boy with, with big problems in the frame and dwarf him, but also a Wendigo that's quite big. So for practical reasons, uh, I shot it digitally. And I have to say, uh, I think it... it, it it accomplished everything that I wanted it to and its look and doesn't feel like uh, uh, digital in the least. I think Florian Hofmeister's uh, lighting and camera work is, is excellent. Yeah, I was just curious about the transition because that's because you shoot your first four one way and then you go a different way. Would you go back to film? Just so you mind me asking? Well, it's, it's unfortunately so many, so few people develop it and, and, it, and, it's, and it's a cumbersome process. As Guillermo del Toro, who produced this film, said to me, he said, Scott, once you go to digital, you'll never go back to film. <laughs> and I'm about to start shooting a movie in about uh, one month, and uh, I'm shooting it digitally. Hmm. Cool. Just Scott, curious. I know you mentioned that um, obviously this is 
the first time you've ever dealt with um, sort of a supernatural monster. But if you think about someone like Whitey Bulger, like you've dealt with a very real human monster in that sense. So I'm sort of curious, you know, when it comes to just the idea of a monster, is there a through line? Like, I know it's crazy to think of like, you know, Whitey Bulger to Wendigo, but is there a through line that you played some games with, with a human monster that, that you played as a director with a supernatural Yeah, and one? you can't forget Woody Harrelson's monstrous portrayal in Out of the Furnace as well, yeah. right? Yeah. So, so um, look, I think the things that we're most comfortable with, the things that seem mundane, are the things that are most terrifying. For instance, if, if you look at the long line of people who, 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 who are serial killers, almost none of them, except maybe Ted Bundy, none of them have the same qualities as Hannibal Lecter, where they're incredibly charming, incredibly smart. Mm. You know, the people who are serial killers are the people that you never even notice in life, right? And the people whom you pass in the streets, people who might serve you or clean your clothes or pump your gas, who knows who they are in your life, right? So those are the things that are truly, truly terrifying. And when you're creating a monster, I look at Jaws, for instance, or Ridley Scott's Alien. And by that, I mean, the less you show something, the scarier it is. The queen in Alien, the shark in Jaws, don't show the shark. Mm -hmm. So if you allow your, your imagination to take you to places that a filmmaker can't, things are much scarier. But then when you show it, it better deliver. <laughs> it's very true. And I um, think Johnny Depp delivered. I think uh, Woody Harrelson delivered. And I think this creature delivers. Yeah. One of the most memorable stories uh, told on our show is the director, Mike Flanagan, who did Dr. Sleep, uh, was telling us about shooting a scene with Jacob Tremblay uh, and, and him getting eviscerated, essentially. And how disturbing it was for the adults on the set for how into it he got. Um, you have a couple of elements where kids are put in danger. Uh, there's a redheaded bully who has to scream and get engulfed. What's it like on set that day? Uh, do you do anything different because it's a child actor or are they super into it? Yeah, I mean, look, these kids uh, are very different than Jacob Trimley, who's a wonderful young actor. He's been on film sets before. Mm -hmm. uh, he knows that the camera... Uh, how to act, perform for the camera, and he knows what the boom is, and he knows what the first AC is, and he knows what the prop master is. The two young boys that I cast had never been on set, had never seen a film camera, and they're wow. dealing with very, very dark material thematically that also um, uh, veteran actors would struggle with, but they're also dealing with a Wendigo that's quite big and terrifying. Mm -hmm. And at seven years old and 12, you know, they're, 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 their little brains aren't fully developed and they're still babies. Yeah. So you have to really make them feel comfortable. You have to make them um, really understand that you're in this giant sandbox and you're all just making believe. That's part of the reason why I cast my two daughters in my film Hostiles. At the beginning of the film, they play uh, Rosamund Pike's daughters. It's because Christian Bale's like an uncle to them, my cinematographer they've grown up with. They know that what's happening on screen is not real. Um, uh, these two young boys didn't really have that luxury. You know, Scott, I'm, I was talking to you earlier at the TV Junket and Carrie was going into really great detail about the practical effects that were used for the creature. Um, and in terms of like what you had on set, uh, I, you, you mentioned something earlier about Jaws, which is fascinating because as you watch your film, you get more and more of a viewpoint of what this thing is going to look like. Um, 
But can you talk about like building it out? Like what was like what was the coolest element to kind of practically building that piece and that and that and that creature out and kind of what was moving? I know Jake mentioned there's a there was somebody in the suit, but but like in terms of like animatronics and things like that, what did you have going on there? A lot. And and because Guillermo del Toro produced this, he's, you know, our foremost monster creature creator and and from the design stage all the way through implementation and then the actual set work was very meticulous. And we wanted the Wendigo to pay homage to what the Wendigo is in, in indigenous culture, which is almost like a deer-like quality, which we have in its antlers and its, and its uh, exoskeleton. But we also wanted it to feel like it comes from the earth's crust, its core. It's born inside a mine and is avenging what we're doing to uh, these coal mines. I mean, this, this land when we're extracting coal and iron and ore. So it's largely practical. But the actor inside of it also had a difficult time because it's so big and cumbersome to affect some of the things that I needed it to. Yeah. So then yeah. we would augment it with uh, visual effects. But largely what you see is, is, um, is practical and really elegantly and beautifully and terrifyingly designed. Beautifully terrifying is the exact word I would use for it. It was, yeah, it was incredible. Scott, I wanted to actually talk about the actor who's in the suit. Uh, I would imagine, oh, like, Dorian Kanji. Like, yes, he's not a guy that just gets in there and his job is to move around. I would argue, like, he's an actor just as much as any other actor is and is giving a performance. So I was wondering if you could talk, you could uh, just explain sort of how you talk to him about sort of the performance of this monster. Yeah, he's without not, He's not question. just motioning. No, 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 without question. And we've heard earlier in the film that, that the best time to, to, to kill a Wendigo is after it's eaten mm. and it's at its weakest. Right, and we we see once uh, Carrie Russell's character gets to the mine that he's just devoured a, a black bear, and by the way he moves with, kind of lethargically and slovenly, that that she's at least going to have a fighting chance, mm -hmm. right? Um, so Dorian, who's a remarkable actor, was playing all of that just inside the inside the Wendigo, inside this this big creature. So everything he did was with intent. Nothing is arbitrary, and it's like having another actor on set. Uh, and awesome. to keep celebrating your cast, who are truly spectacular, uh, in every horror movie, there has to be a moment where, you know, the myth is explained, not not only to the characters in the film, but to the audience in general. And you are able to hand the, the Wendigo monologue over to Graham Greene, uh, who is just a, a genius. So what is it like being able to give that material to him? Well, look, he's, look, he's a remarkable actor. I'll say a couple of things about that. Um, one is a white Anglo-Saxon Protestant telling a, a, an indigenous tale. Uh, you can't have Jess, Jesse Plemons or Carrie Russell explain to people who are unfamiliar with the Wendigo what the Wendigo represents for indigenous cultures. Mm. Uh, who better than, than, than Graham Greene? There were a couple of other scenes in the film um, that ultimately didn't make it that in retrospect, I think, uh, probably would have supported uh, some of these things a little more strongly and, and, and that included Graham Greene. And um, perhaps one day we'll see those, but, but I'm thankful that, that he agreed to be in the film uh, and that he is a, a really wonderful surrogate for everything that uh, indigenous cultures represent. You know, Scott, Florian's cinematography is astounding um, to a point where I felt like I was I was like I was reaching into the frame while while the camera would push in or pull out. Um, but there's something very unique about that, because when you're pushing a camera in, there's a there's a there's a balance there of not tipping off the audience that it's a camera. 
But at the same time, it's used as a narrative way for us to lean into the horror, lean into the scary moment. Can you speak about the fluidity of those movements and kind of like when you decide you really, you really want to push in slowly on a moment or pull out slowly on a moment? Because those those are very interesting narrative decisions that yeah. work so well. And, and very, uh, and, and we don't make those decisions lightly. Uh, my daughters with their iPhones, they they can make films now, and so often. People uh, in film school or, or, or younger like to move the camera a lot. And I say to my daughters, I say, the more you move it, the less it means. I said, if you look at the great film directors, not television directors, but the great film directors, Kubrick, Kurosawa, um, uh, Friedkin, um, the way that they use the camera to tell the story uh, is something you should really pay attention to. Because I would watch, I didn't go to film school, I'd watch a lot of the masters with tell stories with the sound off. So I could understand how to frame a scene, how to use the landscape as character, and how to move the camera to make it feel not only motivated, to make it feel something and to, and to make it uh, punctuate a scene. And uh, if the camera is very still and carries in the frame and a door hinges open by itself, and then if all of a sudden I want to push in very slowly, we'll understand what she's feeling or what, sh- what the audience should be feeling. Um, and we just do that throughout the film so that you can punctuate um, dread or tension, uh, character's inner monologue. But if you move your camera too much, it doesn't mean anything. At least that's just the way I look at it. Do they listen to you or do they just go, oh, dad, you don't know what you're talking about? No, no, no. They, yeah. Well, yes, they do say that all the time, I have to say, <laughs> for sure. Uh, but I, I made this film largely uh, uh, because invariably, anytime my girls would have a sleepover or they would have, uh, we'd just be watching movies together in their rooms, it was always horror. And then when I showed them the films that are my favorite films and have to be horror films, The Exorcist or The Shining or... Nicholas Rogues don't look now. They don't find them terrifying in the least. I was just explaining to the guy, sorry, Jake, that my uh, 13-year-old is super into Carpenter's Halloween movies now. And this Same, morning, he comes down into the kitchen and he goes, uh, Alexa, turn on Halloween theme by John Carpenter. And I was like, I, I'm doing something right. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> if he can name drop John Carpenter, I'm doing something right. That's so great. <laughs> Scott, the, I always felt like the, the best monster movies of all time honestly say more about us as humans than than they ever say about the monster you think of all the way from frankenstein jaws alien and obviously with this film i'm sort of curious what is the balance as a storyteller of okay it has to be a really cool monster and there has to be really cool fun kills and we have to enjoy that aspect of it but also like you pointed out in this interview like it's got to say something it's got it can't just be a really cool monster running around yeah it's that's a very delicate balance to strike uh and really, over the course of years, will I know if I've struck it successfully? Because when you marry my very grounded sensibility with uh, Guillermo's more fantastical, whimsical uh, sensibility, uh, it's a miracle that anything works, right? Um, because I'm, I'm uh, trying to tell a story about the horrors and the fears and the anxieties of what it means to be an American today and what we're faced with, climate crisis and addiction, uh, abuse. Uh, shared grief, all of those sort of things. And, but at its heart, it's a monster movie. And it's, it's tough to get that balance right because you want the monster to feel very ingrained in a, in a realistic manner into the film. But you know that, that audiences want to be scared and terrified and have jump scares, but you also want the film perhaps to say something. And uh, 
there will be people who will want less scares and more drama and people who will want more scares and, and less drama. And I'm reminded of uh, a director who's a very legendary director who, who shall go remain nameless, who's, who has always kind of responded to my films and reached out to me. And he said, if everyone likes your film, it's likely not very good. <laughs> Wait, we got, can we, you can't reveal who that is? I would we'd love to know. Never. Oh, <laughs> so interesting. But this is like a filmmaker that's like kind of latched onto your work. That's like reached out yeah, to I've you. Yeah, I've been fortunate to have a lot of uh, filmmakers from the generation <sighs> that I most admire really uh, uh, respond to the films that I'm making. And uh, yeah, I feel a lot of support among my filmmaking community for sure. Okay, so we're going to start naming directors. When we get to the right one, blink <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like really Just, hard. <laughs> yeah, we're getting hot or cold here. Tarantino, Spielberg, Aronofsky. Right. Yeah. I will get you out of here on this one because we're running out of time. And Much older so than much those guys. For, for taking the time to, to speak with us. Um, because of your association with Guillermo, have you seen Nightmare Alley yet? You know, the, the two times that Guillermo invited me to see the film, I unfortunately was scouting for a film that I start shooting in about uh, four weeks. And I'm so bummed that I didn't get to see it. And, uh, and I just saw Guillermo. And, but I hear the film's fantastic, which is no surprise. And with that all-star cast, uh, I can't wait. But um, uh, yeah, I'm remiss that I, I wasn't able to see the two times that he asked me to see it. And, and uh, because I was so deep in prep and location scouting that I, I wasn't in Los Angeles at the time. But I, You can pass those invites on to us if you want next time, if you want. Just, just, uh, just right? text us those invites. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm sure it'll be a remarkable film. <laughs> yeah, <thank you. laughs> Scott, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. Continue yeah, success thank with you the film. Guys. Yeah, no yeah. problem. Have a great day. Great talking to you, Scott. Yeah, you too. Stay safe, guys. Thank you very much to Fox Searchlight, as well as to Scott Cooper for joining us on the show. It was good to have a director uh, back on talking about antlers. I know we're uh, beyond the Halloween season, but there's always time for some scares. I know Jake is always year-round looking for scary things to watch, and uh, gives a thumbs up to antlers. So, um, all right. Time I can't to wait to watch Hollywood. Thanksgiving. What's that? I can't wait to watch Eli Roth's Thanksgiving. Uh, is that an actual movie? That's just a trailer. I wish. No, no. It only takes me like 30 seconds to watch was it. Was it called Thanksgiving? Oh, it's Thanksgiving. Oh, Thanksgiving, that's right. Thanksgiving is an actual movie. Thanksgiving is not a bad title. If it isn't a movie... I think it is. It absolutely belongs to b I, like, I feel like Blumhouse would do like a Happy Death Day, a Happy Thanksgiving version. Yeah. That'd, that'd be a interesting... Oh, The Rock is doing a holiday action movie. I think he just confirmed that. It was in The Hollywood Reporter. The Rock is doing it with... Um, Jake Kasdan? Is this Maybe. the Jake Kasdan story? Yeah, yeah, I think so. He works with them often. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, 
all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Um, okay, so earlier this week, this is uh, Friday when you guys are listening to this, hopefully, or, or slightly beyond, uh, there was a Morbius trailer. The Morbius trailer reaction that I want to get from you guys, because listen, I'm in the tank for this. Uh, so, Kev... Are you in the where lobster are you tank standing? for this? <laughs> yes, thank you, Tom Hardy style. Where where do you stand in terms of your uh, expectations for Jared Leto as Morbius? Uh, does any you you really liked uh, the Venom films, especially the first Venom? Yeah, oh, you, really, the, you only liked the first one. You didn't like the second one. I did not like Venom too. I like the first Venom. Um, That's right. For, first of all, I, I, I gotta say, as somebody who works in this business um yes. i am starting to get a little bit confused as to what's timelined and what verse uh, what world we're living in like you know michael keaton shows up in this trailer yeah. um so i'm just trying to understand because theoretically uh from what we un- I, so i guess this is not a spoiler at this point venom 2 well just does... give the warning just give the warning all right spoilers, spoilers for venom 2 if you haven't seen it Spoiler for Venom 2. So Venom 2 basically uh, connects Venom to the MCU, right? Yes, correct. Okay. So is Keaton in the Morbius trailer the same Keaton from Homecoming or but he died? I'm confused. No, no, no. Hold on. Help me me, here. Yeah, I will briefly try to catch up because the Morbius trailer is extremely confusing for a lot of different reasons. Right. Um, a, it has Oscorp building in it, and Oscorp right. is the Norman Osborn company that shows up in the Mark Webb versions of this. <laughs> um, the Daily Bugle font is not the same Daily Bugle font as the Venom stuff, and it's also not the same Daily Bugle font as the Sam Raimi stuff. <laughs> as Jared Leto is walking in front of a mural of Spider-Man, he's wearing the Sam Raimi costume... But it says murderer scrawled across it, and the murderer subplot is pulled from Tom Holland's because Tom Holland is being accused of murder in the Mysterio one. And then Jared Leto references Venom, and they talk about something that happened in San Francisco. So it seems like all of the universes are smashing together into this one movie, which is super confusing. So when Leto was making Morbius, they would have had to already know that the Venom 2 end credits scene was yes. going to connect, right? Absolutely. And so, so who's Michael Keaton in Morbius? Well, we don't know yet. Um, okay. Because... He, he's Batman in that movie. Oh, <laughs> oh that, that makes Oddly sense. Right. Yes. So, so we're going we're to bring in DC here, like Eternal style. Okay. It, um, so here's the thing. There, what happened at the end of Venom was a weird thing that, that, that brought Venom over into the world, right? Right. <clears throat> it's possible that whatever that thing is... Um, is going to get explained in No Way Home and could also involve the Morbius character, which mm. would then pull the Michael Keaton character out of... But see, you got to remember that, like, Homecoming, where Michael Keaton showed up... Didn't he die in Homecoming? No, no, he, no, he, he went to jail. jail. He went to oh, jail. that's right. He, right, right okay. he survives okay. on the beach after they that's take right. the plane down, and then he ends up in jail at the end of it. Um, that's right. Even though that's an MCU movie, it's a, it's a Sony movie, really. Like, it takes place in the MCU, but Sony owns it. So Sony owns Michael Keaton and owns that character. Not owns Michael you, Keaton. 
but like owns that version of the character. Let me ask you guys this. So so uh, here's the thing. Here's the weird. The weirdest thing for me is this. Like all these things are 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 very confusing. I mean, I don't know. I can't remember a moment in cinema history where two studios were sharing a character like this, like Spider-Man. Never happened before. Um, it is very inside baseball, but it's inside baseball to the point where it has to become knowledgeable to the public to understand what's happening in this situation. Like mm-hmm. why we're seeing a spy. I mean, I don't know if if an average moviegoer goes to see No Way Home and thinks, oh, this is Sony, not Disney. Sorry, I'm, I don't know if it's even computing in that sense. But at the same time, the Morbius trailer intrigued the hell out of me. I like the horror element of it. And I think um, Leto is, looks awesome in it. Um, I mean, it kind of... It kind of gives me Doctor Strange vibes a little bit in in yeah. a sense, j- just from that aspect. But um, I'm uh, listen. I think Leto's amazing. I uh, I I would love to have seen more of his Suicide Squad Joker footage. I know there's a ton out there, and I would love to have seen that. Um, but no, I'm I'm I am a little confused as to what Morbius, where Morbius lands in this. Here's world. the thing: as long as the movie explains it, I'm okay. Right? Like, yeah. It's all right. right to be confused right now with the trailer because it's just kind of throwing a lot of things in to make it interesting to people. And isn't the truth? Isn't the trailer kind of in a weird place where, because it doesn't really exactly say what happens at the end of Venom 2. Yeah. And so it's kind of in a weird place where it needs to not spoil what happens at the end of Venom 2, but still be a trailer for this movie that is very much going to reference Venom 2. And so like you mentioned, like the logos are different. Like that's something that they could just swap for the trailer, change these logos out to try to make it not stand out. In a normal world, Morbius would have come out before Venom 2. Was but the, but the Venom thing could have been the Venom thing could have been added because it was coming Ugh. out first. Absolutely. You know. Yes. Oh, wow. It was very Jake, much was separate from the rest of the movie. Jake intrigued. Yeah. You know, I think sort of to, to emphasize your point, I think at this moment, I'm just tired of trying to figure out where where everyone stands. <laughs> so I think good. I want to fast forward to when we have and I'm not saying like it, it has to all be in the same unit, but like, just tell me. Just tell me where everyone is in relation to each other sure. so I can process your films. Right now, this weird gray area of like doing this thing where I'm like looking at the fonts and the suits and it's just like, <laughs> I, I'm just tired. I'm tired yeah. of it and I need a nap. So <laughs> I just, I want to figure out where everyone is and then let's proceed with the story. Gotcha. And I'm cute to that, to that end, Sean, do you think we get that answer in Spider-Man or do we get that answer in Doctor Strange 2? I think mm-hmm. by the end of Spider-Man No Way Home, knowing nothing at all about what's potentially going to happen, he is going to be either fully out of the MCU uh, and free to come over to the Sony universe, or at least left at a point where going forward, it would make sense for him to show up in the in the Sony. Because I think Sony's building a, a ton of characters on that side of their world, and all they need left is a Spider-Man, and, and sooner or later, he's going to come out. Sean... Oh. If if they kind of if they see if Sony sees the sort of MCU Spider-Man as a success, like let's just say they categorize that as a success. Sure. And Marvel sees it as a success. Is it possible that what we're going to end up what's going to end up happening is that Sony just says, "Okay, well, we have this whole suite of Spider-Man characters Mm -hmm. and we end up with let's just do that with everything because we're making all this money and we're part of this really successful thing as like a co-studio. That's very weird. And for Mm -hmm. a while, it seemed like they didn't want to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But is it possible that instead of ending where he's over there, they're all in the MCU? That would be, I think, better well, for the fans. I, but yeah, Okay, I, I would have argued that that's not possible. Right. Uh, that, well, that Sony wouldn't give up those characters to go over to the Marvel side, right? Hmm. But the, the Venom 
end credits doesn't make any sense because I thought it would bring Tom Holland over to his world. And instead it brought Venom, it brought Venom the other yeah, way. Right. So it's like Sony's already sharing Spider-Man. And now because of that credit, that credit scene, they're like, eh, we're going to share Venom too. But I thought it was going to go the opposite direction and it didn't, which is odd. So you might be right. They might be building towards something where they're just going to share the whole sandbox. So I'm not Sean, sure. question for you, since you're like all Spider-Man Marvel knowing, why, why not? at the beginning, just make the Venom films in that world. Why, why were they always against like, wh- like why wasn't the first Tom Hardy Venom just MCU like, canon? Why wasn't it just, why couldn't they just simplify it that way? Sony a long time ago bought the rights to Spider-Man and all of his connected characters. Right. And believe it or not, they have a list, a legal list of Spider-Man characters. It's 900 plus characters. I would love to be in some of those board meetings where they oh, have wow. to like be like, okay, we get Spider-Man and we get Green Goblin. Yeah. Like, like I would love to just like but the very official people in suits discussing like, comic book characters. It's it's every character you can think of that's ever been in a, in a Spider-Man comic. You know, anyone from like Flash Thompson who you're like Sony could turn around right now and be like, we're going to make three Flash Thompson movies. Yeah. And you'd be wow. like, well, why are you doing that kind of because thing? we can. But when they failed with the Andrew Garfield movies, quote unquote, failed when they didn't make as much money. And Sony kind of realized that, like, we're having a really hard time figuring out how to make Spider-Man movies. That's when they struck their deal to just let just Spider-Man go over to the Marvel Cinematic Universe. But Sony still owns the rights to all the other characters, which is Venom, which is Morbius, which is Kraven the Hunter. So if they wanted to make them in the Marvel Cinematic Universe also, Marvel would have had to pay a hell of a lot more money. And really what it boils down to, it's it's other things besides the films. It's merchandise. It's toys. Like Venom Ooh. toys sell a fortune through the roof. Yeah. Sometimes Venom toys sell more than Spider-Man toys. And so Sony didn't want to give up that kind of money or, you know, the, the potential revenue that comes from that stuff. Prior to the end credits of Venom 2, last question. Um, if that end credit scene didn't exist and we didn't know that information, yeah. um, Morbius and Venom, those two, those movies, those worlds are yeah. in the same world. Yes, those, correct. OK, all right. So they are they are, those 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 worlds are existing. But now because of because of the end of Venom 2. Yeah, we now assume that Morbius can also enter potentially or unless, be a part. unless they okay. say here's another here's another rumor that I've heard. And then I promise I'll move on after this. Um, I've heard that Tom can stay in the Marvel side and be Spider-Man for the Marvel Universe. But if they go ahead and establish a multiverse where they say there's an Andrew Spider-Man and there's a Toby Spider-Man, then the Andrew Spider-Man could end up being the Spider-Man that's in the Venom and Morbius world. Wow. Right? <laughs> this, and then I'm, my head then is they, like, I can't handle this. It's but too then, much. Like, they keep making Spider-Man, they keep making Venom and Morbius and they Craven the Hunter and the, that already has a Rhino and all these other, and Vulture, Michael Keaton's there. But then the Spider-Man that they fight could be Andrew Garfield. So No Way Home is probably going to answer all of this. It has to. It's going to try to. It has to. I saw a story the other day that there, that there, I mean, again, you never know what you read on the internet is true or not, that there was a, uh, a debate going on. I don't know who to credit, so I'm just going to speak vaguely about whether or not to put Toby and Andrew, if they are, in fact, in No Way Home, in the trailer. And the there's trailer. like a battle going back and forth between like feige says this or and again this is all like internet you read it but um it it's interesting like like one of the things we discussed in the show a couple a couple weeks ago was whether or not 
just reveal it in the trailer and get it over with. Right. Um, but right. I think we all want to kind of like now see it on screen. I don't even think we need another trailer. Just just, just release the freaking movie. We're so close, you know what I mean? honestly. <laughs> we're about, we're about a yeah. month and a half away, so. Yeah. Uh, okay, well, we're not going to be able to see No Way Home this week, but there are a bunch of films that are coming both to Netflix and Apple TV and even theaters, believe it or not. Uh, you guys tell me about The Heart of They Fall because I've heard really good things about this film and I haven't had a chance to see it yet. Uh, it's screened for Junket Press and it's coming to Netflix uh, it's a Western, right? With a terrific cast. Uh, Jakey, what's this all about? Yeah, I mean, I, I really dug it. Uh, very style, stylistic. I was able to see it on the big screen, which I think I'm sure really helped. Um, not in terms of subject matter or even in quality, but Kevin, I'm, I, the comparison I keep making to people who ask me about it is like, if you liked Django and at least the style of how that film was done, a lot of very stylistic violence, very a lot of slow motion, cool kind of badass characters, a lot of modern music. Um, I thought it was very well done. Um, yeah, the cast is incredible. The plot is fairly old school Western esque kind of plot, um, but um, a lot of the you know what's really cool is you know and that's getting a lot of the attention is the representation. Like these are characters who have not really been represented. It's 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 a mostly all black cast. Um, so and, wait, the and cast a, is it's Idris Elba, Idris Elba, Regina King, uh, Regina Zazie King, Beats, uh, Zazie Beetz, and uh, Jonathan um, Majors. Right? Yeah, correct. Those are the four. Uh, and also uh, Lakeith Stanfield, who's fantastic. Oh, wow. Goodness. Um, Del Orlando, who's oh, fantastic. Um, yeah, it keeps going. Um, so, yeah, it's got a really great cast. Uh, it represents a, an entire a faction of people who existed at that time, but over mm. the last seven years worth of Westerns, haven't seen the, you know, the, the their, their time on the screen. Mm. Um, and it's it's not like, you know, Hamilton, where they're recasting people who are white and 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 with roles by actors of people of color mm. these are real historic people who existed yep. and their stories have just never been told mm -hmm. um it's I, I really dug it i really enjoyed it um again i saw it on the big screen it's gonna be a different experience for anyone who sees it at home kevin you saw it via screener yeah i saw it via screener and i, I thought I, I thought it was awesome um and to jake's point one of the cool things about this film is it th that the characters are based upon real life people that i wasn't familiar with so yeah and again you know the movie is d doing it in its own way yeah what does that say there's a title card off the i'm sorry to interrupt there's that what's that title card off the top like these it's, these people existed it, this story didn't or something right. like that. Yeah. Something like that. Like, oh. it's like, it's almost like Spencer in the beginning where it's like a, uh, uh where and again, I'm not comparing the films, but it says like a, 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 a fable. fable based on true tragedy or something like that. Like the, the um, I, and I mean that in the, just in the sense of like, yes, they're like dealing with real things, but they're playing with it in a fictionalized environment. But one of the things I loved about this film, like I even interviewing Zossi beats about this or, um, was, a, was learning about, the people that they're playing. Um, and I, I, I honestly didn't, I, I honestly did not know a lot about the actual people. So I actually had a great history lesson, like researching for the interviews when I was like going through like, oh, you're playing this person. And I'm like, oh, I never even knew this person's story. This is so cool. Hmm. Um, so one of the things I love about cinema and while this film is taking place in a highly stylized environment, I, I found myself learning about history that I never would have known about or heard about prior to watching this film um it's shot incredibly well soundtrack is amazing jay-z uh is a producer on the film so the soundtrack is just and you know idris is a is, is a musician as well so there's a really really great vibe to the film in the sense of like it just it just feels like exciting and 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 electric um idris is great jonathan majors is great uh, i'm a big jonathan majors fan now. i love I, him I, yeah. I mean yeah. he 
His performance in Five Bloods, like I'll never get over. And Sean, I know you agree that that landmine scene with him and Delroy, Terrific. which is just w- one of the most intense scenes I've seen in a film in a long time. Um, and then he ended up being great in Lovecraft Country. And then clearly the he was phenomenal Loki. in Loki. Right. Yeah. Right. And so, uh, yeah, Did you I'm try to get him to talk of- about it. I, I, sorry, I try to get him to talk. Um, uh, uh, King the Conqueror. He shut it down. Like, that's, a, that's what the most I've been shut down in a while. Really? No, but one thing I found interesting uh, about it, though, is so Jonathan Majors was in Lovecraft Country with Michael K. Williams. Michael mm-hmm. K. Williams played the character that Jonathan Majors is playing in an earlier film or years ago. Um, so that's an interesting connection, I thought, because they both were in Lovecraft together. Um, and I asked them about that and kind of the, the you know, the coincidental aspect of that. Um, but it is it's it's a really, really well made has spaghetti Western all over it, like really cool camera angles, great shots. Like one of my favorite shots in the movies is the shot that starts with Idris uh, in this building, and it goes through the glass, going straight up to Jonathan Majors on the horse. Um, okay. Regina King is great in it. Uh, I thought Idris was awesome in it. I love Idris Elba. Uh, and it, it, to me, it's fun. It's a really well-made movie, but also at the same time, when you're done watching it, go to Wikipedia or whatever, wherever you go. And Wikipedia is probably the easiest route. This is how I did it. And just go to the go to the cast of the movie, and then next to each person's name, there will be a, a link, a clickable link to the person that they're really based on. Um, and it's you can learn a lot about people that you may not have known about. And so I was that to me that was fascinating. So the movie itself was cool, but then to go down a history route and learn about um, learn about things was awesome to me. So I, I think I'm I'm very happy this movie was made. I love the title of the film. Soundtrack's great, and it's uh it's 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 a it's a good watch. It's entertaining. But also uh, a good revenge story, and it just—it's fun, good okay. time. I'm gonna kick it back over to Jake uh, to talk about one of his favorite films this year, uh, Finch. Jake, we're giving you a hard time about Finch. Let, let me actually let me go first. Let me go first. Uh, Finch is is much better than the movie it was advertised as, right? Like yes. the trailer came out and made it look like. Um, I don't even know what the tone that the trailer was going for, but it's not what you get. It looked like a Disney. Film. We call. I think we called it like a Disney Family kind of movie. Like a home Remember, I saw the trailer and was concerned because oh. I, I saw the trailer and I was like, "This is not the movie I thought it was going to be." Right. It is kind of Wally, though. It's very close to that. It's not quite the road, <laughs> you know, but it, but it's also not Homeward Bound. Um, right, right, right. And it's oh, it's not the other one we were referring to often is Chappie. It's not Chappie either, <laughs> um, largely because uh, Tom Hanks does carry this, and this falls into the category of Tom Hanks acting opposite um, something else. And in this case, it's a robot and it's a dog. He goes two for two on this one. Um, but the visual effects to create the robot are are really spectacular. They use motion capture. Uh, there's an actor on set with him at all times, um, and then the dog is a dog. And he's essentially Tom Hanks is a character who is dying, uh, but he's also in this not too distant future where uh, something horrific has happened. Uh, I don't think we ever really get full details about what has happened, but Tom Hanks is trying to train this robot so that he can take care of the dog uh, after he passes away. Um, and there are. Here's the thing. That's a sweet story and it's a relatively sweet movie. And the director, Miguel Sapachek, who's directed Game, Game of Thrones episodes uh, and is a tremendous director on the television set. And he shoots some really beautiful landscape. Uh, and, you know, the cinematography in this is, is fairly impressive. 
there are times when it branches off into some other little subplots that have to do with like danger that might be around. Um, and there's a bunch of unanswered questions in terms of like what, well, a what happened and how much um, of a threat are they still under? Cause there's a lot of um, like weather elements that are important to the story that, that will pop up. Uh, and it is one of those movies there after I watched it, cause it's available on Apple TV. I do wish I saw it in a theater. You know, I kind of think that the bigger screen might have given it a little bit more of a... But, like, Tom Hanks was in that movie last year, uh, News of the World, which I thought was uh, with Paul Greengrass and a tremendous, like, throwback Western that I regretted seeing on a screener because I would have loved to see those vistas uh, on the big screen. I don't think Finch quite got there for me, but, um, but Jake, you seem to, wait, you seem wait. to really... Oh gosh, Sean, yeah, you, you interviewed Miguel, right? The director? I did, yes, yeah. Who, who also did Game of Thrones. Why, did you ask him why you didn't call this Game of Bones? <laughs> <laughs> just curious. I mean, I'm, Brilliant. I'm not joking. I just don't I know did why you not, didn't ask that question. I did not ask him that, Kev. I'm sorry. I was sorry. Uh, running out of time. Go ahead, Jake. Yeah, go ahead. Because there's a dog in it? <laughs> yes. Get yeah, it? Like, get dog it? like Bones? And no, game, got, of, game, of bones. game of Thrones? <laughs> Gabe, Gabe and I, we... Uh, we got it. No, you sure? I, uh, you sure? Okay, I, I've, I've, yes, I very much love this movie. Um, it's one of my favorite movies so far this year. It, I think it perfectly threads the needle between being the fun, kind of lighthearted movie that um, that the trailer tries to imply, and then it also is the little bit harder life is cruel movie that I was hoping it would be. Like for every cute shot of a dog there's a shot of tom hanks collapsing onto the floor coughing up blood mm-hmm. for every shot of you know the 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 robot not being able to walk and falling over isn't that funny there's a uh, a shot where you know tom hanks is flipping out because he's about to die and who the hell is going to take care of his dog mm-hmm. and so so keep it i just you know want to put my little zoom box in context for a second keep in mind i am a guy who lives alone I live alone with my dog. And I know that I know Sean and Kevin, you guys have dogs, but you also live with your families. If I found out, this is not an exaggeration. And I think this is one of the reasons that this movie hits me so hard. If I found out this afternoon that I had seven days to live, the first thing I would try to figure out is like, okay, who's taking Daenerys and is she going to be taken care of? Like that is that is a that would be That's my visceral. And, I, and I, the no. answer is your favorite producer. I just want that to be on record. Your favorite producer will take Daenerys anytime you want. But she does love. She did give you many kisses when you were. We here. love each other. It's a, you know it's just one of those things that like I know other people in my life would be fine. I know other people in my life would be taken care of. I they they don't they don't need me. I would need to make sure that that creature that's snoring on my couch across the room is fine and safe and taken care of. Okay. And so the thought of that like. This, this man who was alone and sad and had nothing in this world found hope, found like this, this source of, of warmth and love and life in his life. And, and all you want to do is protect that and keep that, keep that, that flame burning. And all of a sudden, your, your clock is ticking. The timer's running out. And you want to make sure that that, that I mean, that, that really struck a chord with me. And, and for all the little fun jokes that throw and I, I thought I found Jeff the robot to be very humorous almost yes. Borat-esque you know I, I, but I also found the movie to also be very profound and real and genuine and never got into like schlocky territory and the final act of the film was exactly what I wanted it to be I did not I, I was afraid that like okay are we gonna end up with some sort of a cop-out or something it was exactly the film 
I needed that movie to be. Whenever I watched the trailer a few weeks ago, we talked about it on the podcast. And I said, that trailer is not the movie I've been talking about since we recorded episode 100 in, in DC at the beginning of 2020. The movie is exactly the movie that I wanted it to be. It, it struck me. I thought Tom Hanks' performance was just perfect. Everything about it, I keep using this cliche, threads the needle for me. It threads the needle between being the fun, sort of cute, lighthearted, fun comedy, but also like, hey, we're not joking around. This is a very real, genuine problem that this guy is having. And I thought it was done very, very well. Okay, so definitely check out Finch. It's available on Apple yeah. TV. If you and like I liked that, it too, too, by the way. Yeah, yeah he did. So, so three for three. Well, I, listen, I recommend 100% on the Rotten Tomatoes of Real Blend. But there's uh, there's no way that this makes my top 10, and it is definitely not better than Eternals. That's yes, it madness. Is. Yes, it is. That is madness. You know how you know how I know it is? I guess. a quick question. I said so. If Tom Hanks wasn't the star of that movie, would you like it as much? Um, depends on who the star was, but I I, I think Meyer. <laughs> I liked him. Um, no, I, I, I think I think that role, I think that that position would would hit a lot of people. I think it hits me to the nth degree because it is Tom Hanks. But I think if it were Denzel Washington and his dog, I think if it were Meryl Streep and her dog, I I think. You're it picking would. amazing thespians. Why not just go for the real hard? If it were Robin Williams and his oh, dog. Oh, we could do this forever. We could do that. What, if it were Robin Williams and his dog, that would be amazing. But I'm saying, Can like, say what it? if it was Mr. Bean? If this was the new Mr. Bean movie? Well, then it would be it would be a different movie. True. Or his best me, performance yet. <laughs> yeah. Yes, Kevin. I'll say one thing about Finch. Um, I, I like this film a lot, too. And I think, for me, Hanks is so famous that it is sometimes hard to suspend your disbelief. And I bought into it I, so much so that I care just equally for that character as I did for the dog's safety. And generally in film, sometimes I feel like we find ourselves caring more for the animals than the human, just because I think we're desensitized to human beings in films dying. Um, but there was something interesting about their relationship. But my favorite thing about Finch was this idea of technology and this concept of being in this post-apocalyptic era with advanced technology, but at the same time, he's having to use all this old school stuff to survive. Maps, um, not, that, not that he's using cassette players to do it, but it, what, 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 to me, the message of the film in that sense was that like, look, look at going back to the technology that's still practical and still physically there for us to handle and kind of... It, it, to me, it was an interesting juxtaposition. Like we're in the future, but at the same time, this guy is surviving via older school technology. And I found that to be cool. The robot, yes, it's advanced. But to me, that was a really cool theme in the film. And I also like the theme of trust. Uh, there's a whole theme of trust in this film, which is really kind of deep and very interesting. It's a lot a deeper of a film than you think. And to Jake's point, there is something special to think about, about the idea of what you would do in that situation. You would do anything to keep that dog in a safe environment and, and, and protected. So I bought into it. I was all in. I'm a dog person. I mean, Jake and I both interviewed Tom Hanks for it. And and, and it was just a it, 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 you could tell that the the actual uh, performance and the character and the story meant a lot to him. And it comes through in the film. So I, I enjoyed Finch as well. So I, I recommend it. It's got the real blend stamp of approval. Yeah, we liked it. I liked it. It's fine. You know what doesn't uh, have the real blend stamp of approval? Let's very quickly get to Red Notice, uh, which is coming to theaters on November 5th and then Netflix on November 12th. I don't want to go too deep into this one because selfishly I haven't seen it. 
Um, but for people who are going to go out to theaters to see it, uh, Kev, what did you think of it? You liked this one a lot. Mm. I think Jake and I were both pleasantly surprised by it, right? Um, to me, this is, it's like an old-fashioned, like, heist, fun, thrill ride, and Reynolds and Rock are so great together. Like, their chemistry and their timing and their and their ability to kind of carry scenes together is great. Um, essentially, and Gal Gadot is incredible in it as well. I found this film to just be refreshing. Mm. Um, at, you know, it gave me Indiana Jones vibes. There was some Bond vibes, some National Treasure vibes, um, all kind of mixed into this like fresh, fun script that is referencing all my favorite movies and like lines that are really well done. And Reynolds is just like hitting all these lines, and they're all great. Um, and and honestly, and this maybe maybe I'm just. Maybe I'm just like I was watching the film. I didn't see any of the twists coming. It, it got me every time. I was like, I mean, because the movie it's like a, a classic, like who, like who's who's who and who's who's doing this, and like it goes back and forth the whole time, and you're like, oh, I didn't see that coming. I didn't see that coming. I'm like, oh no, really? And like it's really kind of a um like a fun. I don't know, Jake. I, I don't know if you agree. I I just found myself kind of like on the t- uh, like in it. I was immersed. I'm like, oh, oh wait, you just double crossed that person. Yeah, what are you doing? it's it's, it, it's it almost really cool. as if they mapped out what they knew our expectations were going to be, and yep. then went, which is to me what the trailer implies, and then went, okay, at this point they expect us to turn left. We're going to turn right. At this point, they expect us to turn right. We're going to turn around. At this point, they, they knew what we thought every step of the way and then do something else. And also just the chemistry between Dwayne Johnson and, and Ryan Reynolds, each of them do their own respective thing. Neither of them are really breaking the molds of who they are in terms of their characters. But those are two puzzle pieces that I didn't expect to snap together as well as they do. Everything, I mean, it's just, it's visually beautiful. The story is a lot of fun. And Does you know what? Run? If they... I'm sorry. Doesn't Ryan yeah. show up in Hobbs and Shaw? Isn't he a right. cameo yes. in Hobbs yeah. and Shaw? I was just—I was going to say that because in Hobbs and Shaw, they actually share a great scene in this yeah. diner, and you can kind of get a good vibe of kind of what their what their dynamic is. Mm-hmm. But it really does. It, it, Ross and Thurber, the director of this film, like it's shot incredibly well. It's global. It's a big movie. It's like everywhere, and everything feels like it's on actual location. I mean, That's isn't this why Netflix, Netflix is, is putting it in theaters? So. Most expensive movie ever uh, before Grey but Man, I, I But isn't that because the three of them got like $20 million a apiece? Probably. I would imagine. I don't know the exact number they got, yeah. but it's a massive production. And like, okay. one, oh, one thing I will say is this. Uh, stunt work. Um, I found this really interesting. They do a really seamless job of making the actors look like they're actually pulling off the stunts and like it's shot so well that it feels real. And I, one of the things I wanted to ask the cast about is just this idea of like you're working with your stunt double and kind of emotionally getting that connection. But they do a really, really, really good job of kind of making it look like Reynolds and Rock are really doing it. It's not a lot of green screen. It feels Big. It's a big movie. Huge movie. Okay. All right. Yeah, it's fun. Uh, yeah. yeah. Well, so it's in theaters, starting on. November and I think it's going to do very well on Netflix. I think it could be a chance to very popular. Yeah. How will we know? Who's to say? Look, <laughs> if you watch two minutes of it, yeah. you're good. Then it counts. Uh, Jake, tell me real fast about Spencer, Kristen Stewart playing uh, Princess Diana. Um, I, I honestly think that everything that you've heard about the performance is absolutely spot on. Like she, you know, Kristen Stewart, I think has very specific, for better or worse 
very specific Kristen Stewart things that she does whenever she acts. And I was afraid that I would not be able to see past them. Mm. I mean, we're talking 30 seconds into the movie and I went, wow. And we're also kind of in the midst of, particularly because of The Crown, mm. with some truly remarkable performances of, of actors playing Princess Diana. Uh, and we're about to get another one next year with Elizabeth Debicki, mm-hmm. um, who I think is also going to be phenomenal. It's it's also a testament to um, how much this woman can yield different types of performances from different actors. Um, I, I think Kristen Stewart, uh, just her performance alone is worth the price of admission, not the least of which because she's going to be part of the Oscar conversation all the way through um, Oscar Sunday. Um, the movie, and this is where I'd like to get Kevin's thought because he and I sort of split a little bit. The movie was a little bit for me, too much of a like, hey, maybe this happened kind of. We mentioned earlier in the show that it refers to itself as a fable um, based on a tragedy. Um, You know, it it, it follows Princess Diana over like a three-day holiday week, a Christmas weekend um, when she's she's brought back together with a family. And just by nature of the intimacy and the, 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 the private nature of the royal family, we don't know if I mean very very likely that none of the stuff that's featured in Spencer ever actually happened aside from mm-hmm. the, them getting together for Christmas. Those movies aren't my favorite. Whenever it's a like, hey, maybe this happened. I'm more of a like, just tell me what happened. Just just you know. Um, so because of that, and, and granted, and again, like Kevin said, not to compare this with Harder They Fall. Harder They Fall, right off the top, it, it, it's basically just you know, a fictional version. I don't know. They, they, they seem different to me, but, but I would say it, it's the proximity. Sure. Yeah. Like we were all alive and, and there so many people can remember the tragedy of princess Diana yeah. versus like a story about the old West. Yes. I think that that's probably, yeah, that's like, a great, me, that would be the hang up. That's a great, that's a great way of putting it. So, so I wasn't as in, in love with the film itself. I think it makes a lot of really interesting choices. I was, you know, I was never detached from it. But for me, this falls into the very, very filled folder of the performances were better than the movie biopic. So I've seen it twice, um, and I'm going to go as far as to say that this is a horror movie. Um, I, 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 re- I mean that in every sense of the word. This is a claustrophobic, suspenseful, very intense look at what Princess Diana was going through at this point in her life. So for people, this is this is 10 years into it. Uh, it's the three days essentially leading up to her leaving Prince Charles. And the way that Pablo Lorraine shoots this film and, and, and makes this film the way it looks and the, what it does is so intense. So he does it in a 166 to 1 aspect ratio. So for people who aren't watching on YouTube, what that means is there's black bars on the left and the right side of the screen and then the full the full top to bottom is full. That's done in my opinion to feel boxed in. She's supposed to feel like she's boxed into this world. Um Johnny Greenwood, one of the greatest composers of all time, also league is hard player for Radiohead, who also scored There Will Be Blood and I think he did a, he did a lot of PTA's films. The score is so unnerving and so intense um like i genuinely felt like i was watching a horror film and and i mean that in the best way possible because while the events in this movie may not have happened exactly how the events are going on in the film as it says it's a it's a fable based on true tragedy i got a very immersive and visceral sense of of understanding the stress that diana was going through Mm. at that time and i think that all comes together because of the filmmaking and and like Greenwood gave them score before they shot the film 
And one of the cool things that Pablo does in the movie is the score enters the world of the movie. So you'll have moments where score is happening for us, and then that music will be in the world that the characters can hear as well, and then come back out. Um, and it's a very, very immersive experience. And I found that to be really interesting. Also shot on 16 millimeter, 35 millimeter. There were moments where I felt like I was watching a documentary. Someone took a camera into this environment and shot this um, because there are so many scenes where I felt like I was looking and really looking at Princess Diana. Like there are shots like it's mo there's moments at times where, yeah, you can tell it's Kristen Stewart, but it's these faraway shots or the ones where she's walking from behind or the voice or the way she uh, is with the kids. Um, you know, it's a really, really sweet film from the perspective of what she's doing with the children or her William and Harry and kind of like that relationship where she can be herself. But then when she's around the family, it's really scary. And I don't know, Jake, I don't know if you agree with me, but I, I found it to be rather terrifying. And I Gotta think uh, it's pretty wild. And it gave me a deeper understanding, not that I didn't understand what Princess Diana was going through, but it gave me a deeper understanding from an immersive perspective of what that may have been like for her that that idea of like oh i'm just currency or just do what you're told or you know be two different people be a real one and be the one who smiles for the pictures um and it, it and to me i just learned through the movie and through all these stories that diana you know i, I don't know I, I i just i wish i wish i, I wish i could have like knew her I, she seemed like such a wonderful human being and i think the way the the world and everything happened to her. The movie kind of shows that pressure and kind of how it affected her, even if it isn't the exact things that, that happened. Is, that is that movie's point of view, though. I think it's important right. to note that that is that movie's point of view. Like there sure. are, there's another side to Diana that could probably be explored, you know, by another filmmaker yeah, at a different. But film we all know altogether. that this was a. This is. It's not. It's not unknown that Diana and and the whole situation with Prince Charles and Camilla. That, that that's all real. I mean that that whole mm -hmm. stress in that situation. Um, the movie is just kind of taking that idea and throwing it into a cinematic way. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think it does it really well. I'm not saying it's exactly real, but Pablo Lorraine did a hell of a job, and Jackie was another film he made as well. He's just mm -hmm. a Love really Jack. powerful filmmaker. Um, mm -hmm. But I'm, I'm telling you, it. Even, Lauren, even Lauren said it, it felt like a horror movie. It, mm -hmm. Jake, did you feel like it felt like a horror movie? It felt scary. Yeah, I, I feel weird using that expression for a movie that's clearly not a horror movie. There's a, there's a way that dra I think dramas can be disturbing. And there are a lot of dramas out there that I would say, oh my God, that's that's really difficult to watch. And it's a that's a tense or even scary situation. I would not as, go as far as saying it's a horror movie. I, I, to me, I, it felt I, I feel like, like that's I feel like that's bending the definition of what a horror movie is. Well, I'm not saying it's like a Friday the 13th movie. It just felt like a horror film to me. Mm -hmm. It felt scary. Right. I was I was I was very I scared. think there's a difference between a drama feels scary and it's a horror movie. OK, okay. let's move sure. on to Eternals, the latest film in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. We are going to do this in two different sections, a spoiler-free version, and we will very clearly tell you when we get to the spoiler version. So I'm going to go first, and I'm going to just tell you guys... How come you're going first? Because I will lead with the positive, and then you guys can poo-poo all over it. Um, and then we'll get into spoilers and get into specifics on Wait, Sean, I'm kind of I'm in right. the middle. I'm not, I'm not, I, don't, I didn't hate it. So <laughs> okay, I'm, yeah, good. Yeah. I, I like that part. Um, I, I thought Eternals was fantastic i literally thought it was fantastic it is top it's hard to put anything top five because i think that like the five best marvel movies to me are going to be hard to replace it's absolutely top 10 without question 
Um, and one of the things I found most remarkable about it. Hold on a second. Yeah. Say that one more time. It's top 10 Marvel for me, without a doubt. Top without 10 MCU doubt. out of 25 films. Correct. Yes. It is in the top 10. I gave this movie 4.5 stars out of five. Um, Eternals? And, yeah. Eternals. Yes. The movie that's coming out in theaters right now. You're and sure here's the one no thing home, right? that I'm going to say about it. Um, it felt like the next Chloe Zhao movie as opposed to the next MCU movie. Like, I don't think that it lost her voice at all. I thought she was able to shoot it the way she wanted to. It doesn't look like any other MCU movie. As much as I enjoyed Shang-Chi, I thought Shang-Chi was a lot of fun. It's a it's an MCU movie. Like, that Shang-Chi. fits into the blueprint of Shang-Chi. Fits into the blueprint of an MCU movie. So it hits all the beats. I don't think I think Eternals was outside of the box and a total breath of fresh air in terms of the way that M- that Marvel tells its stories. Um, I loved, loved the characters. I thought all the characters were so different than anything that we've seen in the Marvel Cinematic Universe up to this point. They have a deep, deep uh, historical background, which is a lot to sort of uh, absorb over the course of one movie uh, and a lot of exposition. It's heavy exposition, without a doubt. Um, But when action hits, I thought the action was done on such a massive scale and done in a way that utilized the powers of these really interesting uh, characters that that don't really resemble what they are painted as in the comics, and that's good because the comics to me were really dated. They're sixties and seventies kind of trippy uh, comics, and they needed an update. I thought the cast from top to bottom was spectacular. I think everyone in their in their roles uh, is they're, they're all relatively perfect. With with huge stands out for uh, Gemma Chan and Angelina Jolie, who was terrific. Salma Hayek, I thought she was going to be better. She had a tough role. Because, uh, well, we'll get into this in spoilers. I guess we'll talk about it in spoilers. She had a tough role. I liked Richard Madden more than I've ever liked Richard Madden before in anything else. <laughs> I tend to think he's a bit of a stiff, uh, and I liked him as Icarus a lot. Um, I liked Kit Harington and what he's going to bring to it. I loved Brian Tyree Henry. Like, I just thought everybody in the cast was fantastic. Um, and it just went places that I have not seen a Marvel movie go before. And, uh, like, I really do feel in Phase 4 that Marvel has said to themselves... We've built up this cachet of uh, of credibility with fans, and now we're just going to start swinging for the fences. And I thought WandaVision, whether you guys think it landed, you know, stuck the landing or not, we had a story built around Wanda and Vision that was a six-part uh, spoof of every genre of television that we grew up on. Like, who else does that? Uh, with Loki, you had a movie where they took the idea of time and, and variance and, and broke apart and had incredible performances and and warped that world. And on the on the film side, yeah, Black Widow's a safe sort of prequel movie. That's fine. I'm going to write that off as saying, you know, they they sort of answered to the idea that that Black Widow fans or they thought Scarlet deserved a, a solo movie, but setting it up as a prequel was a little bit short it shortchanged her. I think she deserved a movie before we got to this point. But Shang-Chi was very very exciting. Simu Liu is a huge star. And Eternals is a is a huge left turn uh, that I think is really, really fascinating in terms of the cosmic side of where they can go. Seeing the Celestials brought to life on screen for the first time was like, I can't believe that we live in a world where that like there's an Eternals movie that's coming to theaters. And I was I was just hugely, hugely entertained by it. So, Kev, you're a little closer than I am. Why don't you why don't you weigh in? Yeah, and a cool side note, Chloe uh, Zhao shot actually, I think I think I want to say it's six or seven minutes of the film in one four three IMAX. I think it's the celestial stuff. Um, so That's if awesome. you live if you live near a city 
where you can see a 143 IMAX. Um, there's only like 12 in the country. I went and saw Dune in 143 and it was the most incredible thing I've one of the most incredible things I've ever seen in my entire life. Um, but Chloe in our interview talked about like going to Denis and watching Dune 143 and going, oh, I want to do that with my stuff. So apparently the celestial stuff apparently is going to blow up to the. She IMAX. wanted to Dune that. That we Dune, that, that she yeah, said? yeah, 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 and then and then and then she also loves Interstellar, which is which is awesome. Should we just me. change um, his name to Dooney? Dooney, yeah, I, I like that. <laughs> um, all right, so Eternals. Um, I like this film, but I but I have issues with it. Um, I am middle of the road, three three and a half out of five. Um, mm-hmm. Shang Chi was, you know, we're talking about the last Marvel film was unbelievably fun and awesome. And by the way, Simu Liu is hosting SNL on November twentieth. They just announced that, oh, which is oh, really cool, cool for him. Good for him. Um, That's awesome. So this film, to me, the first half drags entirely way too much. And it's edited in such a way where I found myself confused as to where I was in timelines and in the world. Um, But that being said... There is an inter- there's a great story here. Um, I like the introduction of building the team back together. Um, some of the highlights for me, I thought, is it Barry Keegan? Is that how he pronounces last I name? So, yes. Who played George and Dunkirk? Uh, he's my one of my favorite parts of the whole film. He's so great in this. Uh, I love the character of Sprite. I loved mm. that uh, that imagination and the and the and the movie shows that she would do. Um, Kumail Nanjiani is great in it. Um, I love the my my favorite scene of the film, which I won't go into now, is a scene where they explain why he's been able to live all these oh, yeah. years in the movies. Um, because for people who don't know, it's these these characters have been on Earth for 7,000 years and this whole question of why didn't they intervene, that all is very interesting. Like, mm-hmm. that whole idea is very interesting to me. The second half is where it picks up. There's a uh, an action scene in a forest, which I thought was amazing, and then the final action scene, which I thought was really, really well done. Um, but again, the exposition and the first half, it's way too long. Um, and I also just didn't find that that first half really just like I was just like sitting there going, when is this going to pick up? And even the team building, even like the building of the team back up, it felt disjointed to me. It just felt uneven. Um, and the script just wasn't that solid. Like there was dialogue. that just felt like a table read line, like where it just came out of came out of nowhere. But at the end of the day, I think that one of the things that you said that's really important, which I'm really, really happy of is that Chloe's voice is all over the movie. And this could have been a situation where you bring in a filmmaker uh, and you like, you know, one of the best examples of this is uh, Guy Ritchie's Aladdin. Guy Ritchie has no fingerprints on that movie that I could tell you. I couldn't Mm -hmm. tell you it's a Guy Ritchie movie at all. Um, And so I like that Chloe got to keep that style. There's a there's a, um, a beautiful style to it. If you saw Nomadland, there are elements in Nomad Land that you can kind of capture here in terms of the way it's shot. Also, Jawadi, um, uh, i trying to remember his last name, Ramin, uh, the composer who composed Game of Thrones, composed the score, composed the score here. Great score. Um, Madden's great in it as well. I, I agree with you on Gemma Chan. Um, I'm just kind of like I'm, I'm in the middle. I, 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 I didn't dislike it. I just found it the first half to be dragging and it's entirely too long um but the post-credit scenes are awesome and we'll get into that later uh but uh overall it's it's a, it's it's a i liked it i would not call it top 10 mcu at all it's nowhere near top 10 mcu but it's definitely uh, it's it's a solid effort from chloe just didn't land fully that i wanted it to mr hamblin i i didn't like it um but i also didn't dislike it i thought it was fine um 
Maternals. And it didn't really, yeah, Eternals. I, I uh, Maternals. And it didn't really waver for me. Um, I thought it started fine. I thought halfway through, I was like, this is fine. And when it wrapped up, I went, that was fine. Um, it, the the storyline felt very kind of like, this is the gang. Gang breaks up. Got to get the gang back together. Now the gang's back together. Now we got to, you know, it's kind of, you know, almost, you know, like every sort of team movie that we've ever seen before. I thought all of the characters, yeah, they're all unique and they're all very sort of have their own thing. And that's fantastic that you're able to develop all these great characters. Really couldn't care less about seeing any of them again. I don't really care about their place within the within the MCU or care about how they're going to interact with it, with anyone. Like I don't care how Sprite is going to meet Thor. Like that that doesn't intrigue me. Like that I'm not excited about that. Um, I thought a lot of the um, the 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 action sequences uh, they were just so. And look, I get this is the MCU, and I'm not I'm not blind to to what the MCU is. But they were they were just so CGI heavy that it just was just like it just took me out. It's just like this is we're swinging around a bunch of like I, I didn't think the the monsters like the they looked all that particularly cool. And in fact, they looked like a like they still had a few renders left to go in the CGI. Yeah, the de- the deviants um, didn't. The deviants yeah, I agree just, with they didn't you. look they were great. Little, I, I didn't love. Yeah. But it that's not even maybe so much a knock on the CGI as it was. I just didn't like the design of them. The design of them looked didn't look good. Um. You know, I, I, I at no point did I ever think, man, I don't like this movie. Uh, it never crossed a barrier down here, but it never crossed a barrier up there. Um, I, at no point was there a moment where I was like, wow, I am blown away by that. I am sold on that. It, it was a lot of movie. It felt like a lot of movie. I understood why it had to be that long because that's a lot of stuff you got to put back in there. I'll never watch it again. It was perfectly, it was a, you know, I'm not going to knock it. Um, but I, 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 aside from a lot of people asking me about it, I haven't thought twice about it since I walked out of the theater. When I was in the studio today, one of my anchors, one of my anchors said to me, uh, why don't I know who the Eternals are? I said, well, okay, rewind back years ago. Did you know who the Guardians of the Galaxy were? And they were like, no, I didn't know who they were before the movie. So it's like, it's like, it's an interesting thing. Shang-Chi. I didn't know anything about Shang-Chi before I saw it. And I loved it. Um, but yeah, I, I, I'm I'm in between Jake and Sean. I, I definitely do not love as much as Sean does. I'm more towards the middle ground. But uh, Gabe, you saw it. Do, why don't you just give a quick minute like to thought hear. on it? Yeah, yeah I'd love sure. to hear what you thought. Yeah. I, I'm much closer to Sean. I think I'm closest to Sean in that. Um, I don't know. I put it top 10. I don't really think of things that way necessarily. But I, I really enjoyed it. I see the criticisms. It was one of those movies where I go, okay, like it's, there's a lot of exposition and maybe I've become desensitized to it where before I'd be super upset. I don't know. Maybe I'd be upset about that once upon a time. But for me now, when that happens on a something this scale where like, I kind of understand how much they're trying to cram in here, I go, okay, you know, like that, um, maybe that could have been a little bit better. Maybe it couldn't. I don't know. Like, let's just, I just want to get to through this because the story itself and the characters and like kind of why they're doing everything and what it all builds to is super cool and super interesting. And you said that the first half really um, was dragging for you. I I did not feel that way at all. I, to me, it, it felt it felt pretty well paced through the whole thing um, because of the way that they were going in and out of their past versus their present. I enjoy I enjoyed the kind of um, historical nature of the characters. I enjoyed kind of learning about their past. I had fun with it throughout. Yeah, I would say similar to Jake, where he said it was like it hit a note and then it never really left that note. It was the same for me, which is not the most exciting experience to have something, you know, you kind of want a bit of a roller coaster. Um, but I enjoyed it. I, I enjoyed it, I think, across the board. 
Also, Angelina Jolie, one of the best things she's done in a long time. She Fantastic. was exceptional. Standing performance. Like, I genuinely she was so great. good. Because she she's not, I mean, there's a lot of characters in here. There's no, so she's not like, it's not like she's she stands in every, out. Yeah, but, but my point being is, it's not like she's in every single frame, you know? And she's not even necessarily the main character of the mm-hmm. characters. Um, so it benefits from her not being, you know, front and center all the time, I think, because maybe she would have become distracting, but she's in it just enough. And when she's in it, she freaking shines, um, to the point where, like I said, she kind of melts away as far as being the superstar Angelina Jolie. And we just get like a great performance. I, I also can't, and this is the one thing I want to say, and this is, I mean, this is just me and I, I, I'm, I'm sorry. And people can say I'm weird for thinking this. It was really weird for me to hear Kit Harrington and Richard Madden call Gemma Chan Cersei. I'm sorry. It was just strange. It was as like, it, I, it, I did it, think about that whenever it, it, didn't, it didn't like me out a little bit. Like, I mean, I get it. Different world, different spelling, different character, but here, but because Madden and Kit are so Game of Thrones centered in but, terms, and again, this is not a criticism. This is the I comics. I completely forget that Madden is even in that show oh yeah. it took me it didn't bother me i thought it was going to when i read it about it weird. i was like oh that's yeah. gonna be weird but it wasn't at all for me it, it actually the first time i think kit harrington's character says her name i think it's kit yeah. or no 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 it's the first time richard madden says her name because he has a scottish scottish accent right yeah yeah, yeah. Yes. um it doesn't sound anything like has anyone said cersei in game of thrones so yeah. i didn't i was like wait is her name something else <laughs> yeah. it didn't really bother me a little strange. Really it was just a little like like strange. I don't know. It's a it's weird. a funny coincidence. It didn't yeah. it didn't take me out. I wanna I wanna shift to spoilers if we can, because I would like to answer um some of the things that you guys have brought yes. up and, and maybe just explain. So let's yeah, shift yeah. into a full on spoiler conversation about Eternals where we're dun, gonna be dun, able dun. to reveal Warning everything that we want to reveal. And it's not even like a huge spoiler heavy thing. But here's one of the things that I found what part of the reason why I don't mind the exposition in this movie at all and it never felt like I was um getting an info dump is because everything that we were learning about these characters to me was interesting. Like I really loved how they got into the idea that they've been around for this amount of time and that length of time <clears throat> affected each of the different Eternals in specific ways. Gemma Chan uh, was able to go on about finding um, a life and found a love interest. Um, The character of Sprite has this real issue where it comes out later where she's like, what if you guys look like a child? You know, (laughs) when you showed up here, all you guys look like regular people and you can go melt in with culture and I have to be a kid this entire time. Like uh, then Brian uh, Tyree Henry's character says like i don't know if i even want to continue having these fights you know because i have a family here i've now established uh these roots and so the story that is explained about all the different reasons why the eternals don't necessarily want to get back together um was really really interesting to me and and in a way i kind of found them to be the anti avengers in a way because the avengers when they did the team building it was very much like these are different personalities who don't want to work together, but the the way that the Eternals cast plays themselves out, they very much were a family. Like, they arrive as a family unit, they worked together as a really strong family, and I thought they all had terrific chemistry. And then they split their different ways, because they've been doing this for 7,000 years. So all of those stories that would explain, like, when you got to Kamal's storyline and you were and they explained the bollywoodness of it and kevin talking about that timeline where he just <laughs> he's pretend to be the same guy you know but just so in a different good. member of the family that, that's over a great and over bit. again that's a great bit. it's funny uh. yeah it's funny and and when they get to the point where they have to unite into their um unimind I just, we've never seen anything like this before like to me i think you guys are getting a little bit 
maybe Jake in particular. Oh, I like getting, the Unimind scene. Yeah, that was I, awesome. I think we're getting a little bit jaded where like this is something like that's presenting this massive, heady sort of intelligent science fiction. And and there's no way that you can look at a movie like this that that, that bites off as much as this movie chews and delivers and just go, eh, eh. Because it's like they're huge ideas. They're massive ideas. And I just and maybe we're we get too much of this on a weekly basis that when a filmmaker like Chloe Zhao, who films a beautiful, beautiful film and talks about all these different things, like there's there's the the idea that they were there to protect the Earth uh, and their goal, their only task as given to them by the Celestials was to defend them against deviants. And now, for the most part, they put the deviants away. But the, they learn now we're in spoilers, so we can talk about the fact that they've learned that the whole point is that there's a celestial buried inside the Earth and the celestial is going to be born and the Earth's going to be destroyed. So do the Eternals just do their programming and let the celestial be born or do they fight for the Earth? And all of the reasons that the, that the Eternals gave for why they wanted to fight for the Earth, I thought was incredibly, incredibly moving um, and done in a way that these actors really, really sold. And I, I can't I really have a hard time believing that you watched this and you were just like, eh. Like, it's crazy to me. It's crazy. It's crazy. I do. I do. I want to jump in because we have, um, to peek behind the curtain, we have a hashtag if it happens coming up very soon. We do. Uh, we do. And we have quite a bit of show to go through. So rather than get everyone's full spoiler opinions about certain plot points, I want us to just skip ahead and specifically just let's just talk about implications within the MCU and Marvel with the end credit scenes and kind of where it leaves stuff because I don't Look, think we have time Gabe, to get there's into. There's only one direction. It can go. <laughs> All right. Let's I start like your with style. <laughs> well played. Well played. Let's start with, I guess, that in credit Dunker. scene. Uh, Harry Styles <laughs> is in the MCU. I guess that, that's the implication. Which is um, like, which kind ahead. of fits exactly in with how I feel about the whole movie. Which is all right. Okay, but here's oh, the, but okay. that's a little bit like if you go back and look at all the all of the old uh, MCU end credit scenes. All of them are just like, I don't know who that is yet, but I guess we're going to no, find out. No, but this feels, I think because it's Styles, this feels stunty. This feels like the first MCU casting. But he's, but he was good. Stunty. But like, but like he okay, was he, what, he really, was good in Dunkirk? He's a good actor. No, he, he was, was good in those Because scenes. he was good in Dunkirk? No, he was good no. in those scenes. I, 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 I'm a fan of his from just a musical standpoint. Like, okay, have you what, does that have to do with, what does that have to do with he, acting? No, he is a good actor. He's he a was very good actor. Yeah, he was good in Dunkirk. He's also really good. And he was good in this scene. Yeah, Look, that's what I'm not I was saying the he was guy, good in the scene. But I'm just saying, and I'm not saying he's not capable of doing it. Why do you hate I'm Harry just saying Styles? it feels stunty. It feels like... I think he doesn't done. like Harry Styles because he might have better hair than Jake. Oh, Harry that. Styles has way better <laughs> hair than Jake. He definitely has. I've seen that hair in person. Do we do we know who that character is and kind of what might happen? Or is that literally just it's supposed to be fun? They're going to find uh, John some other... would know. As someone who's read the comics, I know very little about that character. Yeah, I don't read a lot of the cosmic uh, side of the MCU. I don't, yeah. I don't, like, I don't necessarily read a ton. But it's but he's presented as Thanos' brother. <laughs> But the one thing I thought was that they were setting him up as to potentially be like someone who would seek vengeance for Thanos's death. And it turns out that, like, from what I've read after the fact, he's much more of an ally uh, of the Eternals moving forward. But he's two characters. would be an issue. Well, the other guy's Pip the Troll, and he's just a side sidebar. No, no. Styles is also Star Fox, right? It's the same name for the same character. Yeah. Okay. But yeah, 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 like Star-Lord. But that version of the character is CG, like, like it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a different look to the character, right? From what I understand. Oh, interesting. I, it might be. I'm not sure. I, I could be wrong. Uh, I just want to say real fast. Um, Harry Styles is. You guys can crush me for this. I think he's one of the greatest artists working today. 
Um, mm. His, I'm telling you, his solo albums, I know, his solo albums are amazing. All right. His music All right. videos are amazing. And I think he's a great actor. And I thought that was a great choice to bring him in. It didn't feel stunty to me at he all. Was, I think okay. he was great in the scene. He he Yeah, he was fine in that scene. It was a quick scene, but he was fine in the scene. Uh, the other, the post credit scene, um, I didn't, I couldn't make out the, the, the name, but we, okay, so in that, Kit Harrington opens up a box. There's yes. a sword, which maybe we know what the sword is. Sean, do it's we know what that's supposed to be? Excalibur. That is supposed to be Excalibur. Even okay. even though Thena had Excalibur at some point in the movie. So so also. maybe they give him Excalibur. So that's Excalibur, and and Black someone Knight. he says he teases that he has uh, some sort of heritage. So who is who is this character now that we know? Kevin said it. He becomes the Black Knight eventually. Like when he okay. picks up that sword, he's going to morph into this character called the Black Knight. And the voice that's speaking off camera is likely his uncle who was the original black knight who's probably going to be the one who will do know, fill do in we know what actor played that sounded familiar to me <laughs> as finch um i don't know no they didn't necessarily say who it was so okay but Patton oswald's playing the the animated character next to him Hit right the troll yes well, I'm, and i'm really other, glad that's the other scene that yeah. they yeah. didn't it, that it wasn't like Patton oswald you know they changed himself. the voice yeah yeah. Okay, so so those are the end credit scenes, and then before we move on, I do want to ask you guys, or Sean in particular, is um, sorry, what's the name of the 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 actual celestial that they're talking to the whole time? Ashen, not Ashen. Oh, Arishem. 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 Mm-hmm. Is is well this done. movie setting up Arishem as a larger MCU big bad? Is he going to stay, or is it going to stay specific to the Eternals? No, but what I think it's going to um build towards is the presence of more celestials because if you remember ego the living planet that kurt russell played he was a celestial also right so these are there's a presence of these celestials that are out there um and what it could build towards i don't know what they're going to do with guardians 3 they're bringing in adam warlock but there could be more celestials that are villains in that sense and when they get to the fantastic four if they want to go galactus's route like he's a threat on the level of the celestial. He's that size, right? Is he a celestial? Is Galactus a celestial? I don't know if Galactus but he's that is size, right? Every time I yes. see him depicted, he's like 100%. his he's head the is the size of Earth. Devourer of planets. He yeah. also goes around and just devours planets and sucks their energy. Yeah. So, if they're heading in that direction, and the the films that could be cosmic are uh, the Miss Marvel or the Marvels, Captain Marvel, uh, Guardians Three, Fantastic Four. I imagine is going to be, and then. Uh, and then I'm assuming they'll do another thing with the Eternals. The other thing, too, is that the technology, the way that the um, Eternals used their tech and and influenced the creation of weapons and objects um, there. If you remember at the end of Shang-Chi, the, the rings themselves are sending out a beacon. And the rings, to me, looked like they could have been tech that the Eternals created or influenced. So it's possible that the beacon that is being sent out by the rings, because remember, the rings uh, made Shang-Chi's father relatively eternal and they were i was wondering about the that. backstory on that too like where they came from so they could be something that was created by the eternal huh. and i like cool. this a lot and jake has checked out <laughs> that's like, the thing you I, i'm excited love it. for i'm excited for no way home though you either love it and you're immersed in it by this point or you're you know every other one might no but you, can, you can't say at this point because i have been up to this point so it's, it's, I you, didn't love, you didn't love Endgame though. From Endgame on, you've been you've been off the wagon. What Marvel? Yeah. The stage that Marvel is in right now, they're in a rebuild. If you're okay, if you are a sports fan, they're in a rebuild. Yeah, they're currently they sold the team. 
Yeah. And they're in the process <laughs> of hiring <laughs> young prospects okay. and building them up so that they can win a championship later. That's the Call him Kevin analogy. Feige, Billy Bean. Billy Bean's never won a World Series. <laughs> I was say, okay. <laughs> so Why it's not going to be as exciting as my point. It's a buildup. They're in the Why process. Why are they putting Shang Chi the out there, Gabe? Because it gets on base. It gets on base. It gets base. on base. <laughs> All right, let's get through our blend game because we have a we have a hashtag if it happens, and we really have to prepare for yeah, it. Yeah, we got to uh, know. We got to move. All right, Idris Elba blend. Um, I can't not pick Pacific Rim. Pacific Rim is is one of my. Uh, Did anybody else pick? Pacific Rim? No. Pacific no, no, Rim no. is, and, and personally, selfishly, uh, it's one of PJ's favorite films. So when he was a kid, he watched it all the time. And so it's just embedded in my in my brain. And the fact that, that Idris plays a guy named Stacker Pentecost is, you can't beat that. Like, I'm sorry, that's <laughs> terrific. And, uh, and he has some of the best lines in it. It's way over the top and cheesy. But with Guillermo del Toro in charge of the first one, it knows exactly what it is. It's mo- it's robots versus uh, creatures and just com- uh, constantly fighting against each other. But it takes the right attitude towards that type of thing. It doesn't go overly serious like the Warner Brothers monster verse is doing. Um, and Idris, you know, it's not a lot of range. He's just up here the whole time. Uh, but that is one of the most fun movies that I think he's been involved with. So that was absolutely my choice. Kev, where'd you go? I mean, canceling the apocalypse is one of the best lines. Exactly. It's yes. such a. It, 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 I mean, it's such a good line. And it does it perfectly. It's a lot better uh, yeah. than tonight. Evil dies. It's a lot better than that. <laughs> it is a lot better. But that than line's made all the all the better by having everyone say it every thirty seconds for two hours. <laughs> Anthony Michael Hall only says that in the movie the entire time. Even Michael's like Jesus Christ, and it doesn't even going. die. It he does till the end. <laughs> it's it's still going. Yes. Um, I went with Hobbs and Shaw. Oh, interesting. Uh, I thought his character in Hobbs and Shaw was awesome. Um, That's not a bad pick. He he is great. He's great in that movie. And like, does does he have the black Superman line or does someone else call him that? He has. That's another great line from him. That is another great line. Yes. Great line. I also feel like he, like Idris Elba. So when you have a movie like Hobbs and Shaw and you have these powerhouses like The Rock and Statham, uh, and then you have a villain. I mean, the villain has to be believable and powerful and and just as badass and like yeah. give them a run for their money and make you think that they can't get through it. Idris handles it, man. Like there are like the way uh, I love when he calls the motorcycle over to himself whenever in the beginning and like just the the action scene at the end in the rain, the fight. Um, also, Idris was it's an interesting character. I, I kind of want to know. I kind of want to know more about who he was speaking to, um, but also just the idea of the way he handled himself in those scenes, like that torture scene with uh, Statham and Rock, and oh, yeah. that, that's where the Black Superman line comes in. Um, I just thought he did a hell of a job. Like, and that's a really hard role to do because everyone's going to see Hobbs and Shaw to watch Jason Statham and Rock kick ass. Mm-hmm. Um, but to be honest, as I was watching, as much as I like Rock, Rock and Statham, Elba stood out to me. Like, mm-hmm. and that's really hard to do with, among that star power. And Idris is a big star in his own. But I mean, you know, obviously he's played dramatic roles and great performances in his career. Mm-hmm. I had the most fun with him in Hobbs and Shaw. Like that whole car chase scene 
and like they go through the bus and he just like gets up and he's like angry at himself and he wants to get back into it again. It's just a great performance. And and I think that Hobbs and Shaw is, is underrated. I think that people think about it, obviously, in the Fast and Furious universe. But I thought David Leach did a hell of a job with that movie. And it's just a really solid action film. And Idris is great in it. It's my favorite thing he's been in. Pacific Rim is definitely a, a really good choice, though. Yeah, uh, Jakey, where'd you go? My pick, I think, might annoy people and, and make them question, like, why of everything, why would you pick that? I'm going to pick his run on The Office. Oh. And I've, I've watched The Office start to finish probably about a dozen times. And I always love when we get to that plot line. It's one of the best plot lines of The Office where Michael leaves Dunder Mifflin to create the Dunder Mifflin paper company. And a huge reason that is is because they bring this guy, new guy comes in named Charles Minor, who's played by Idris Elba. And I always describe him as, like, it would be, like... Imagine someone who can't stand The Office, who does not find The Office to be funny, does not get why everyone else loves it, becomes the boss at The Office. The way he plays that part, he doesn't understand Michael. He doesn't find Jim charming. Pam's like little quirks, don't he doesn't find cute. He just doesn't get it. He doesn't want to be, but he's the boss and he's going to do it. And I love the way he interacts with each of the individual. It's its one of my favorite stretches on one of my favorite shows. And I think it's because he plays it so well, so dry. He's absolutely incredible. And at that point in the show, we're talking like maybe season six or seven, where mm-hmm. like it was kind of starting to show like, you know, some, some, some chinks in the armor. He brought this for, if only for like six episodes, this great breath of, of, of fresh life. Is he the before show. Uh, Robert California? Yes, Robert California was brought in briefly before Michael left, and then he's the he's the main Michael replacement. I do not um, like. Robert no, he was that was not good. Not um, he he didn't belong on that show. I, no. I'm curious as to who that guy is in a different world, but he didn't belong on The Office. Right, right. Idris Charles, is funny by the way. He yeah, can be and, funny. He, and he's yeah. very he's very funny in the yeah. dryness of The yeah. Office. But again, yeah. the best way I can describe it is someone who hates The Office <laughs> becomes the boss at The Office. That is really funny. All right, audience picks lots of love for The Wire. Pacific Rim, mm. The Office, and even Cats. Now, I don't believe that that's true. <laughs> I believe that you just included that. Was he Rum yeah. Tum Tugger? <laughs> he was. I don't know if that's who he was, but he was in Cats. And someone picked Cats. That's awful. Um, Is next that week, your pick? Hashtag. Pick. Next week, uh, hashtag Hans Zimmer Blend. So let oh. us know your pick <laughs> via email uh at realblend at simmerblend.com or you can use the hashtag hans zimmerblend so our next premium episode which will be dropping on monday is a new game that we're going to try that gabe has suggested to us called the box office game and uh i look forward to losing to jake in that uh, again <laughs> i kind of i don't want to play any more games i kind of want to like i want to walk away you can get access to the premium episodes by going to cinemablend.com backslash realblend premium follow us on social media all week long at jake's takes at Kevin McCarthy TV, at Sean underscore O'Connell, at Gabe Kovach, and at Real Blend is the Twitter handle for the show. We will talk to you guys next week, and until then, do War of the Worlds! Oh, that's a good one. The Terminal. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. 
everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.